This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. Uh, we have a fun show for you today. We're going to talk about Albert Moeller and whatever he said at a weird conference. And we're going to talk about eldership. Don't worry, it's not boring, because none of us are boring. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Down in Florida, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. And fresh off a of Jags win, right? They won? Yeah, Timothy Miller. <laughs> Tim, why is your shirt off again, dude? Come on. Yeah, put your shirt on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, hey, guys. Uh, I, I'm glad that everyone's here. Uh, it's It's been a, a fun weekend of football and uh, – and, uh, in ministry, I want to know how you guys, how was your ministry week, weekend? Huh? Anything new? Anything exciting? Anything sad? Well, what speaking of football, I went to a sort of a watch party after church with a church member slash friend, and I was going great. You know, I wasn't, I was, I was 75% paying attention to the game. You know, I was, I was sitting in the room with all the dudes where the game was on while all the ladies and the children were in another room, uh, and sort of trying to sink into the couch so my wife would forget that I was there. And not try to come get me to take a baby or something. Because um, that's how, how we yes. do it. You know what I'm saying. And uh, so, game was going great. Left at half. They were up by like three scores, I think. Forgot about it. Had to. My wife had to take our daughter to uh, uh, urgent care. She's fine, but just had to take her there for... Uh, she had a little uh, tonsillitis going on. They diagnosed. And like, so I was with my younger daughter... And I, like at 5 o'clock, it was a 1 o'clock game, like at 5 o'clock, I went, oh, I wonder how much they won by. And I checked the score, and they lost. And I was like, what in the world happened? And so I went back and watched the highlights on YouTube, and, man, some of those defensive plays were atrocious. I think so, I saw something yeah. where it had, it had been something like 715 NFL games where a team was up by 21 going into the fourth quarter and lost. Dude, so, oh, I, mean, I didn't even it, realize. It's, they were, oh. it's been it has been decades since a team Ouch. has blown that big of a lead in the fourth Ouch, quarter. Man. So that's and yeah, man, people are serious about way. I, I I have missed uh, a Sunday finally this year. I I have had guest preachers this Dude, year. Dude, I was but, worried about you. I saw that you were watching online, and I was like, oh no. You he had you, another yeah. spicy a spicy what cookie, happened? as Frank called it. it. It was not a spicy cookie. It was a, a Jaguars home opener. So we had a guest preacher. I had the anxiety of watching my church service online. You guys know it well. Oh. I was, I was, my dad was driving. I was in the past for this. Yep. And there was nothing like it was, it went off without a hitch. It was the first time they did have to restart per presenter once before the service started, but not again. So I was 
thrilled by that. And then the day was was just phenomenal. We got a Jaguars W, and everything went great at church. My guest preacher absolutely hit a home run. I had three elders participate in the service, which was really, really cool. So I'm going to shoot a, a text to my elders in just a few minutes and thank them for letting me take a day, enjoy my day, and ready to get back to work now. Real quick, Are you going to send them the, the article horn, that we're talking about? How... <laughs> yeah, I probably should. <laughs> around the horn, how involved are your elders? Well, this is like a prelude to what we're going to talk about. How involved are your elders on your Sunday morning services? Do you have them do announcements, communion, sometimes preach, or do you have just like they only vote on things that matter and they don't really do anything on Sunday morning? I mean, I, I try to involve right now one, my one elder, and the second one is moving, so we're looking, we're working on that. But um, we try to involve them as much as we can. They'll do communion um, meditations. They'll, uh, we pray with people after the service a lot and anoint with oil and they'll be part of that as well. Um, hospital visitation. I mean, one of the things that I walked into in this situation, I've been here five years now, but they were without a pastor for a year before I got here. So I just have continued to, they just keep, have kept doing what they were doing other than, you know, the main preaching role every week. So, uh, I've got one elder who will always pull me aside right before the service starts and pray with me. Um, and they're very involved. They're very, you know, the, the guys that, that are here, really, really involved. It's not just like a, a rubber stamp kind of thing. Well, I guess I'll I go. Have... I've been at my church for a little over a week and a half now. And what I've seen <laughs> is the elders are super involved. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. We waited. We waited. It was so awkward. I, I'm the kind of guy I can't take awkward silence. But uh, I interviewed, um, and at my interview panel was the pastor, who is one of the elders, at, to the elders. That's the team I interviewed at at my church. Uh, the first week there were six baptisms and um, two two elders plus the pastor, so three elders baptized during that service. Yesterday, I went to my first elder meeting, which was awesome. And I say that as someone who's Baptist for 36 years, like going to an elder meeting, I don't know how it is at other churches, but it was really awesome to see the genuine, genuine concern for the people of the congregation. Like we went through the prayer request together. Like, how can we meet these needs? Of course, there was some light business, but then it ended on, Hey, there's these new people here. How can we serve them? So I've been seeing our elders play a, a big part in the pastoral role and as well as, you know, just the hiring staff. And, um, I would say they, they have a lot of trust with the church that I'm in right now. One of, so we have five elders, including myself, um, all will rotate through serving communion with the exception of one who's in the, uh, who's in the band. So it's kind of difficult for him to be serving communion mid song, but, um, they'll all serve communion or do announcements or anything like that that we want them to. One is with our kids' ministry, probably at least 50% of the time serving there. We have not had an elder preach in the past few years, but that's also just gifting of the team that yeah. we have right now. Our our elders are pretty regularly involved. One of my elders is our MC, I guess, so to speak. He'd be the uh, the campus pastor, I guess, for you guys. Uh, he does announcements every week uh, without fail. He's always coming up with good material, new material. It's always funny. It's always lively. He just does a great job with announcements. We've and, all been to his house. 
You've all been to his house. It's True. Sam Redkin. And for, you guys know this. Whoever's given announcements, they got to have, they got to just have it. Either have it or you don't. And if you got some other who doesn't have it, the announcement time is like, uh, but for whatever reason, you know, Sam, he's got it. He hits a home run every week with announcements. Uh, this past Sunday, I had another elder do a, a video intro for our guest preacher. And guys, the cinematic mode on the iPhone 13 or 14, I mean, it's silly. It's silly. It, it, it looks so ridiculously good. I shot it on cinematic mode in the office, took 30 seconds to edit. That's it. Literally less than one minute, including the upload. So there's no excuse to not do that more often. So it was a nice little intro for our guest preacher. And then I had another elder do the benediction. So I, that was kind of an experiment with elders doing multiple things in a service. So I'm, I'm excited to see if they're willing to do that maybe once a month, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I've never had a, a different elder serve communion just because I typically just stay at right at the tail end of a sermon, but I do like the idea of, of getting our elders involved with communion again. So I think that's something I'd like to talk to them about. You know, my favorite part of what his name is Sam, right? That elder's house that we all went to. Yes. Was that one room he had where there was just cabinets that were just absolutely filled with Bibles. That's fantastic. That's my favorite part of being at his house. So you remember that cabinet? The, the liquid Bibles? Best Bible cabinet ever. Yeah. The Bibles that were uh, like glass bottles with liquid in them. Those, delicious, delicious Bibles. Fantastic. It's okay, everybody listening. It was corn juice, <laughs> all right? It was corn juice. <laughs> nice, nice. Delmar, you shoot all your weddings with an iPhone 13, right? <laughs> Obviously, doesn't it look like it? Like, for sure. Like, the way I get those big shots in the air, you got to put them in super slow-mo and just chuck your phone in the air, and it kind of looks like a drone. Dude, isn't that annoying, though, those of you that have done actual videography, that people say that kind of stuff to you? It like, is. Well, can't, can you just do this with your phone? What's the difference? It's and really now, annoying. It's kind of hard to like be like, I mean, it does look pretty good. You're right. It does. I mean, it's and I have a super love hate um, relationship with my iPhone because it does do good work. You yeah, know, you can't. It really does. The the only thing is, and y'all probably notice, especially like if you got like someone with none of us really coming to this problem, but with a lot of hair. Like sometimes the cinematic mode will clip out the hair in a yeah. weird way, but you know, give it five years. You know what I'm saying? Give it five years, and <laughs> it will be hurting. Hey, so. uh, this is that, kind that's of what the uh, that's what the doctor said to me when I started my Propecia subscription. <laughs> he said, "Give it five years," and it's been about three, three and a half, and I'm 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 thrilled. Nice. <laughs> uh, did you guys update your phone to iOS 16? This I is don't now a, know. this is now a tech blog. No, I think yeah. So. It's so great. There's so many different. You wouldn't. Your 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 lock screen is completely different now. If you did, you you can. Well, then I guess I didn't. You'll have a different font for your time, and you dude, can I got something's wrong yeah. with this phone though because like, I got to take it back because it just since I've gotten this as an iPhone 13 Pro and it's like it just I two or three times a day I have to put it in airplane mode, shut it off, turn it back on, and take it out of airplane mode or else. All the internet functions don't work. It like gets stuck, bro. I think that iOS 16 upgrade is going to help you because yeah. I was having issues like that too, and it solved a lot it's of like that. weird connectivity issues. Like yeah, I'm going to do it today. Sweet. Yeah, the lock screen. I don't know. It's just so cool. I mean, there's, it's like there's some really cool changes, but there's also like not a ton of changes. I mean, the biggest thing, and boys, we got everyone here has to update so we can work. I can now unsend or edit text messages in our group chat. Um, especially, you know, my, Such I, I, a could, bad... I could treat our group chat like Snapchat, you know, post something and then take it away from you. And then you can't hold it against me. Like how every pastor should have right? with their ability to DM and text, right? Too soon. <laughs> oh. Too soon. Oh, too soon. Ouch. Too soon. Ouch. It's like, I'm, I, the ironic thing is I'm the one making the jokes about it. 
Uh, yeah. Because I'm it's a so big too fan soon of this. because we actually like this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for the uh, new OS X update where we can use our iPhones as our webcam. Yes. That'll be yes. spectacular. That, that will be pretty great. Very valuable. I mean, it's a valuable tool. Th- think about how the world has changed since COVID with just, you know, bringing an HD feed into a computer as a crazy as yeah, as as a webcam and the when Tim and I first started to do the morning after, we spent hundreds of dollars to get a a, a cheap Canon camcorder to show up as a for webcam. real, and now you'll be able to use your iPhone right three inches in front of your face. I think it's wonderful. There's no and excuse your iPhone to have is gonna be a, bad video quality. And your iPhone's going to be a better camera than um, your built-in camera on your computer. Yeah. So it'd be pretty sweet. But, hey, uh, speaking of uh, the awesome elder Sam over at Tim's Church, um, there's a high, high, high chance that you'll be able to meet him and see his house if you come to the Practically Pastoring Conference. Probabilities February, are high, yes. Yeah, February 20th to the 22nd in 2023. Uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a bit of a discussion over the week, uh, this past week, about the conference. Um, Tim is working with a local hotel to get us a conference rate. Um, there was a question about whether you need to rent a car. I feel like there was a good amount of people who rented a car last year that if you didn't rent a car, as long as you like coordinate your ride or something, you should be fine. Um, I'm trying to think of what other stuff. Came out. It comes Tim, down to if you're putting this on the church card, absolutely run a card. If you're paying out of your pocket, <laughs> someone who is putting this on their continuing ed budget will have a car rented and they will just drive you around. We can yeah. promise you that. And also, Tampa is a big, big city, and you could probably yeah, it's not get little. like it's not little. You could also probably get your car rental pick up at the airport if you use the app Turo, and then you could be driving around in a Tesla or convertible, and not just whatever like. Toyota Camry, you know, Avis has or something, but um, it's there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it. Tim, you uh, updated the, your uh, student room, right? The space where we're going to be. So the student center is almost complete. We have two days left. Uh, technically three: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is punch out. So Tuesday, Wednesday will be the the painting, that just the finishing touches on the paint. Thursday, we're finishing up the wood walls on the stage, and and it'll be done, boys. We're we're ready to host the 2023 Practically Pastoring Conference. I'm so excited. The space is going to be beautiful. I've got a little bit of a surprise for you guys. Don't know if it's going to be ready, okay? I don't know if this is going to be ready. However, um, we have heard from a disc golf designer, and he is coming to Lakeview the first week of October to design the Lakeview Disc Golf Course. Lakeview Links. Lakeview Links is coming. Now, it would be the temporary course in if it's done by February. I'm just throwing this out there. I I want us to have some sort of sporting event on campus during the conference. I'm shooting for disc golf. I'll keep you posted on the progress. That's a a very very, um, attainable sport for everyone to do, which is It really is. It really is. Why are you guys all looking at me? What the heck? <laughs> it's, what it's, the heck, guys? I'm looking at a computer, but... Disc golf is, like, a little bit above bowling and a little bit below pickleball, right? That's a good place to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. So me and Andrew are heading up bowling. That's what I... <laughs> Listen, I put bowling is in the category of a skill, not necessarily a sport. Oh, okay. I'd put disc golf in the gray area between skill and sport. Because really? Because it does at least require some walking. 
So disc golf is in the same category yeah. as cheerleading for you. Uh, no, <laughs> competitive cheerleading is for sure a sport. <laughs> okay. Just because something is athletic, is it necessarily a sport? Okay, here's the I, question. Cornhole, is that a sport? No. No. Jeff, you Depends know. on which part of the country you're in. I mean, you and I, you and I know someone who is like an amateur cornhole player, Bob yeah. Drost. Great. Yeah. <laughs> There's professional dart players. They're not athletes. Cor- uh, cornhole's on uh, ESPN. Ocho, I think. Okay, that means nothing. <laughs> okay, whatever. I feel like cornhole's fun. Anyways, but if you wanted to debate Are we just going to pass by that you said ESPN Ocho? <laughs> you know, uh, if you want to debate Jeff the merits of of what is a sport, and not a sport, you can do it at the Perfectly Pastoring Conference. We don't. I mean, listen, I didn't say I didn't like either one. I play cornhole. I like disc golf. They're just not sports. All right, and if you want, I think f- golf is in the same gray area. Oh, wow. yeah. Wow. What athletic thing do you have to do in golf besides swing? I think That's in it. sport, if you do not have a true competitor, it has to be a race. Hold up, hold up. So Beat Saber is a sport then because – I don't know what that is. That's Beat Saber is VR, and I'm telling you, you sweat more doing that than you ever would. a lot of things I do, and I sweat that that are not sports. It's energetic. You swing in your arms. It's way more high velocity than anything, any of this disc golf stuff, any of this golf stuff. Like Beat Saber, by that standard, I'll bring my Oculus. That'll be my sport contribution Golf is as much of a you know sport what I as want a, you uh... to walk around and play that outside while we're all playing disc golf. <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> I know golf... it'd be fun for everybody. Golf is as much of a sport as like a um, as like pitching in baseball. Yeah, but baseball as a whole is a sport. But no, because you have an opponent in baseball. Yeah, yeah. Like there's still someone trying to hit the ball. Okay, okay, okay. I'm saying golf so is cheerleading's not Listen, a sport then because you I'm don't have saying... an opponent. Golf, I'm competitive I, cheerleading does have opponents. I'm saying I, I, golf I'm is saying in a gray area. I'm giving you a gray a area. Okay? There's a gray area between sport and, like, skill game. Now, imagine ping right pong, now. Ping pong in the gray area. Imagine whoa, right whoa, now whoa, someone. Whoa. someone it's guys, Olympics. if it's in the Olympics, it has to be considered a sport, right? All right. The, the Olympic it's committee the, gathered and said. It's at the sport end of the gray area, at least. Well, hold up. Video games are Olympics Jeff. now, too. There's the eSports in Olympics. <laughs> All right. I mean, okay. Okay. But All they right. have – if you have to put a letter before sports, chill, it's like – Chill, 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 <laughs> Hey, uh, imagine this right now fun. someone who's never listened to our podcast before. It's like, oh, this is a cool pastoring podcast. And it's we'll like never a title listen again. The word pastor, you know? <laughs> oh, nice. All right, here we go. <laughs> well, if you want to hear this kind of conversation more, go to the PrepperyPastoringConference.com, sign up. If you need a promo code, hit one of us up. We want to see you this there. This is absolute foolishness right now. All right, so let's dive into our first discussion. Over on Relevant Magazine, Albert Moeller said something that people don't like. Uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. Wait, Baptist- you're saying that Relevant Magazine is reporting something that Albert Moeller said, and they're saying they don't like it. I know. Shocked. I was. I was. Wow. Telling, I was telling someone that, like, um, if, it, like, if it's any kind of conservative voice in evangelicalism, if it's on Relevant, it's probably going to be framed as negative. Like, very rarely. Yeah. Is relevant going to like be charitable? Up next, CNN says they don't like Trump. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, so the the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
um, was at the Family <laughs> Research Council Print Vote Stand Summit in Atlanta on Thursday. And he uh, he said some things. Basically, if I could summarize it, he said it's absolutely necessary for Christians to vote in the midterms and not just vote, but to vote correctly, because to vote wrongly will is 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 unfaithful. And I think the subtext of that is if you vote Democrat, you are unfaithful as a Christian. But did he actually say that? I think I think I think the context of the because this isn't just a general uh, it's, I mean, this is a, a conservative conference with not just religious, but non-religious people in this conference that's very Republican and things like that. I think the implications of it was that you should vote conservative. There's a tweet that he later wrote in kind of response to people kind of criticizing him. And he says, if you are offended that I encourage Christians to vote for candidates who defend the unborn and support the integrity of marriage and to go vote against candidates that who support abortion and subvert marriage, then that has been my message my entire adult life. So at minimum, Albert Moeller is saying, if you don't vote conservatively, you're being unfaithful. That's what he's saying. Well, and I, can we go ahead and throw it out here? Conservative today and conservative 10 years ago are two totally different things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's wild how conservatism is framed. I'm actually – talking with someone who's at Southern Seminary right now, asking him how this is affecting Southern Seminary. And, you know, he kind of made the point you just made, Frank. It, it He never said vote Republican because my friend, um, he's obviously Team Moeller, but he's a libertarian. And I think there are a lot of conservative-leaning libertarians. That's why I don't like the framing of the article. It says, Al Moeller says, evangelicals who don't rep vote Republican are being unfaithful. Well, his parameters he drew is abortion and marital institution so that could be libertarian so that could be i mean honestly there are either some democrats who are you know old school democrats who still have these values so to frame it up that way man i'm having a hard time making that leap to relevant i think but what my... if you vote for a conservative who has been divorced multiple times and has allegedly paid no, no, for no, multiple no, no. That's, abortions that's different that's i mean different. is that Andrew, is that the same thing i mean hypothetically <laughs> And if he well, was you know, orange, would that make any difference oh in the gosh. world? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Off the rails. Not taking the bait. <laughs> I, I, I think this, when, when I hear this article, or when I, when I heard about this and I, and I read this article, I, I think, man, I, I, I think when we as pastors, and now Moeller is, is the president of a seminary, but he preaches and he has a large influence amongst uh, Southern Baptists and conservative evangelicals. I think like, I think there's a problem in framing politics as faithful and unfaithful, as opposed to wise and unwise. I think that there are wise choices in our voting, because I think all voting is a wisdom choice. And 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 the reason why I say it's a wisdom choice is because you're always having to calculate good with evil with any candidate, right? Like, I mean, Andrew, you made that joke regarding Trump, but, like, there is a weight, there's, like, a cost I said Trump about as much as Mueller said Republican. <laughs> How dare you put that word in my mouth? Go oh, back man. and play the tape. Frank, when did I say Trump? mansplain Andrew. When? I know what I said. Don't, All right. Don't tell me what I was talking about. I know what right. I meant. But, yeah, I think, you're right. I, I think there is a conversation <laughs> of wisdom here, and I think that... I, I think to a certain extent, I'm scared to even say this because it's going to be recorded, but like, I don't think your vote, who, who you vote for, 
is necessarily indicative of your salvation or your faith because there's there's so many like nuanced conversations as to why someone votes for something that like to to make broad brushing statements like that i think at minimum are unhelpful and i think if anything all it does is it it marginalizes people not just between christians and non-christians but between christians and your church right so I dare know. i say what it's pandering to the crowd that he was speaking to for <laughs> sure like I, I uh, made I, I an illustration in my sermon yesterday about Tom Brady because I was in Tampa Bay and I was pandering to the crowd I was speaking to so that they would buy into what I was saying. I don't I think context I think, matters no matter where you're saying what it is that you're saying. I think that that's definitely true, but I think he's right in the middle of the context he's speaking to. Like he said, this has been his position for a long time. I don't to when I hear pandering, I think I'm saying things I may not necessarily believe in order to win a group of people. Like, I think that's just Moeller and you take him or you don't, you know, I, I think it's, I'm a little like Frank in the sense, I think it's kind of strong to come out and saying that your faith is tied to your voting. If that's, I mean, I'm, I'm reading the article now. He's saying Christ, uh, insofar as Christians do not vote or they vote wrongly, they are unfaithful, man. That's a hard measure to put on people. I, I, I think Frank, give us some time to think about it. It is about wisdom. And I think it's also about you have to, your conscience has to be bound, you know? So take this outside of here. So say you go to Europe where none of the candidates support life, right? In, in, uh, as far as they all support abortion and all of them support the, whatever marriage is now, then where do you vote? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like take it out of America, Moeller. Tell me what to do now, you know? Like, that's what I want to see. But it, I would say on the other side of it, though, we are talking about America where we are a representative government. And I actually do think there can be an, an argument can be made that Christians should have some kind of ethical obligation to participate politically and vote. I do think you can make oh. – I'm not sure I'm there all the way, but I think the case is there to be made that if you don't vote, that it's you potentially are being unfaithful now well, it, wrongly or rightly yeah. you know that's where that gets a little gray for me but to say as a christian to just say ah, i don't care about that i'm just not going to participate because of the way that our government is set up i do think and there's an argument to be made that you're being unfaithful potentially because you're just you're not participating in the governing you know of the place that you live which you actually have a voice in uh, in our country. Now, maybe we can make a case that uh, one vote doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but on principle, what I'm saying is I kind of agree with Moeller that if you just refuse to vote. So let me just take this down to the, the you know, to my church. If somebody came to me and said, I don't care about voting, I'm not going to do it. I think there is a connection to me to be made for us as American citizens who have the privilege of voting and actually making something happen. There's a way that there's a connection to be made between voting and participating in that process and loving your neighbor. Mm. And if you just refuse to do it, um, I think you, you, you got to think through why am I refusing to vote or is it just laziness? Do I just, you know, that's not a good enough reason to not vote because of the system that's in place in our country. And I think there's a biblical precedent for that. Like, I mean, when Jesus is teaching on, on money and talking about rendering to Caesar, what is Caesar? There is this, like, I think, implicit conversation of of um not 
abstaining from civil responsibility, as well as later in Romans when it talks about like praying for government leaders and things like that. I, I oh, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I think there is an argument to state that like abstaining or not being involved in the system in the government you're sitting in is could, could be framed as unfaithful. But I think the the part that he it, 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 the part that he tied the unfaithfulness to here is who you vote for. And right. that's the part where I'm just like, I get, I'll get a little skeezed out because like, you know, yeah, Dell can make a point where like, if we were in Europe, this, you know, it, it's, it's both candidates are not going to be good. Take this back 2000 years ago when Christians had no political authority or polit- like any political uh, power or weight in that world. Like, like, but let's say, let's take Christian- it again. Practically to people we're pastoring. If somebody yes. comes to me and says, I'm voting for all one party. Sure. And I say, why? And they say, I don't know. I just always have. That's voting wrongly, and I do think that's being unfaithful. Okay. You're, See, that, you're that's not... where I would agree. Right, Jeff. That's where I would agree with So if Volta that's here, how right? he meant it, I mean, in, I'm In fine my with mind, it. it's, it's use a little bit of wisdom behind the vote. It's not just about voting. It's, hey, do the research. Research the candidates. What are they for? What are they against? I, 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 don't ha- I really don't have any major issues with what Moeller said because I – I think I think you can vote wrongly if you're not doing it wisely. I think yeah. I think, I think people. I mean, generally, research. people are lazy about it. They just oh, yeah. I yeah. don't know. You know, that pick the one topic and then just go with it. You know, it's just like Christmas tree. The rest of just check all the D's or check all the R's well, all yeah. the way then down, and who cares? Let me let me ask you. Obviously, this is kind of a touchy subject as far as like politics and stuff. But you know, church is not supposed to quote provide guidance on who to vote for, right? But we are supposed to provide guidance on foundational truths of Scripture, correct? I mean, that's what we as pastors do. We teach objective morality through the lens of Scripture, right? So when Al Mohler's is holding up the standard of Scripture, saying you should vote for people who have the objective morality of Scripture, take into Andrew's, you know, what if the what if the guys had five marriages or whatever, right? But I, I think that we have to if we're going to tell them to vote responsibly, if we're going to tell them to vote informally and we are not going to help them do that, where, where does, where does that responsibility lie within the church as far as like maintaining appropriate candor within the community in our congregation? I don't, I'm not trying to understand the question. Like, so Moeller, he didn't tell him he's, he didn't use the word Republican, right? Right, He said You need to vote for people who um, uphold the standard of God's word. Right. So by Moeller's own truth, everyone's a sinner. Okay. Like, so no one's, you can't vote perfectly, but where does the church come in and say, okay, these are the candidates who affirm life. I mean, cause obviously we have this distinction where we don't talk about these things, right. Uh, for whatever reason. So if we're going to tell these people, they need to be informed, they need to vote, but at the same time, we're not equipping them in the information and we're not pointing them in the direction um, how are we helping them if this is a faith issue? Well, I think I think I, Andrew a couple months ago said we should make a shirt about this. It's a discipleship issue, right? Like right. if we're if we're 100%. not if we're not discipling our people to think Christianly in all areas of their life, then then who is discipling them? They're the news the the the, the news broadcast stations, right? So like I, I think there's this like. Uh, like, 
I feel like sometimes when we, when we, if we just, if we create a situation in our churches where we're just talking about political issues from the pulpit and and telling people like these are the political frameworks you should be like like seeing it from a political worldview, then we're doing the service because we're only talking about the the higher up issues and not talking about the foundational issues of what interprets that. How many people do we know are pro life but don't frame it from the case of the Imago Day, right? Hundred percent. Like, yeah. And so, so what I'm saying is, it's like. Pro, like I think so much of Christian conservatism, if we use the pro-life conversation for a second, talks about pro-life so much just as a political point to stand against the Democrats and not rooting it in the Imago Dei. And I, and I think that this is where like discipleship matters because my political views should be rooted and overflowing from my theological views. And if I'm being consistent with that, that's not going to put me square in any political party. Therefore, voting becomes a wisdom issue because my theological convictions are not going to squarely put me in any political party. There and are I think people too, that would say I am voting Christian by voting for right. a higher minimum wage for the working class. I am voting my convictions. I'm voting my belief by by voting for extra funding for the public schools, by voting for – the single mothers, because I'm not just anti-abortion. I am pro-life, and I want families to be set up for success, et cetera, et cetera. So to say, well, you have to vote Christian, that depends who you're talking to. There's a different yeah. definition for what does it mean to vote Christian for each and every Christian that gets to vote. So yeah. to just come out and say, oh, well, you got to vote Christian, but by whose definition are you defining Christian? Well, and I think that's why I like what Mueller did. He's he's using very clear, hard-nosed Christian convictions here about abortion and homosexuality. He's not going into, well, should the money that the government stole out of my last paycheck fund the public school systems and it not be done at home? That's a whole different thing, right? But he's using very clear-cut sin issues, and I think that that is really important. And then what Frank said, man, I was saying amen. I had to start muting my mic because how many times do we stop these issues at the political and we don't root it in the bedrock of how that should engage us as a believer, as a Christian? Like, for example, if you will harp on I won't vote for this candidate because they're pro-choice, but you're staying in a church that's pro-choice. Like, can you not see the conflict? I mean, that's a, that's a situation I just had to move through, you know, not my whole church, but my leadership. So, like, I had to if man, if I'm going to vote a certain way, then like my conscience should be binding me a certain way in how I navigate my family and my Christian walk. And drawing these distinctions is very dangerous. And I think, man, what you guys have said is very convicting and it nailed it. This is 100 percent a discipleship issue. Right. Because if our churches were doing this. And, and we were having these conversations in our small groups. That's going to be informed. And whether or not I show up to that ballot box and I vote with the convictions of Moeller or the or some of the arguments Andrew was just using, at least I'm informed now, right? At least my convictions have been um, raked over Scripture and have been challenged to me by fellow believers. I feel like that's there's nothing unfaithful about that. Let me, let me frame this uh, one more question to frame it within the context of our people. Someone says what Mueller, what, what Mueller may be implying, okay? Let's just, maybe we'll take Mueller aside from this. And someone says, um, uh, pa 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 Pastor Timothy, uh, I think that uh, every Christian should vote this party. And if they don't, 
I don't know if they really are a Christian. Like, how do you, I mean, I kind of had a similar conversation with someone about this yesterday, but how would you respond to that? Pastor Timothy. (laughs) Or anybody. For for me, it was a, a long time member of Lakeview. He, he approached me the Sunday before the, the 2020 election and said, if, if you don't endorse this candidate from stage, I will not be back to church ever at this church. And I did not endorse a candidate. And you handed him directions to safety Harbor. I did. (laughs) He's been a faithful attender there ever since. Andrew, Andrew's like, he's one of those elders I was just talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. He's an elder. That's funny. Yeah. That that's a really, that's a really difficult conversation to have because that's, that's a tough stance to make. You're going to have to have a really, a really tough conversation with someone because I have, faithful believers on both sides of the political spectrum in my, in my church and, and in my sphere of friends and influence. So like, and what I, do you say that like, you don't, I've really... never had that conversation with someone who wants the church to be more progressive. I've never had a liberal member of the church say, yeah. Hey, if you don't spike the football and celebrate this, I'm out. But when Roe was overturned a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I had a very angry person at church that was upset that we were not celebrating a Supreme Court decision in our worship service. To which I said, when, well, when I, we I don't ever... know if I'd go that far, Andrew, because in, in 2020, I had several church members just furious with me for not addressing race issues. They, they thought True. That, the, that we, we really I, missed the mark I hope that race issues shouldn't be a political issue. I think that should. But when you said progressive, I'm just saying these were these were very yes. progressive church attenders yes, and it I'm just saying, so happened that that I, was the I've, issue. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I, I take it back. I'm saying the uh allegiance to a candidate like you are referring to, I have never had someone say, Hey, if you don't endorse this person, I'm going to um you know, peace out. I'll give you that. That that's true for me. Well, uh, let's can I pray. can I recommend a book? Tell us, Jeff. What's the what's the book we should be reading? Well, it's not the book. I don't know. I'm just a little bit into it, but I heard about this book, and uh, it's called "Politics and the Order of Love: An Augustinian Ethic of Democratic Citizenship." Um, so pretty poignant, I think, for the conversation we're having. It's by uh, a professor at of religion at Princeton University. So you can tell um, it, you can tell it's an academic book because it has more than three words in the title for real and the title's <laughs> not catchy at all right it's just like here's what it is oh dude i thought this was the most catchy title <laughs> academic like, books are like every title is like a paragraph <laughs> so it's like we want you to know everything this book is it's about a big, it, it looks like it's a lot of pages those are really helpful when you're setting up your Turabian paper though because they take up a lot of footnotes so you don't have to write as much <laughs> you're, you're amen right. that's so true well hey let's transition to another topic but we're moving from the relevant magazine to the Gospel Coalition. Um, he, there's an article that came out uh, uh, ten days ago um, called Five Dysfunctions of an Elder Team." And so, I like the way this is written because it tells you the dysfunction, and then in the same area, it'll tell you kind of what they should be. So, here are the kind of the five dysfunctions. Number of one: endorsing candidates. <laughs> <laughs> The Just first kidding. one is elders as a rubber stamp. So basically, like a, a like a, a letter, a bunch of uh, yes men in your in your elder board. Yeah, elders as a Praetorian guard. I think that means that like they are always excellent like, pronunciation. Oh, yes. good. I, I I just prayed I got it right. 
it seems like there are people who are always like just kind of at odds with the senior pastor. They're always like kind of the filter for what happens in the church. Elders as a separate branch of government is number three. Number four, elders as an opposition party. And number five, elders as a house of review. Um, so it's interesting that the, the kind of like you have kind of a spectrum of bad elder boards in this in this conversation. Elder boards who are a bunch of yes men who just kind of say yes to everything that the senior pastor does. And then the other swing to it is elders who are almost like the hardest people. Like there was one example here where it says um, – you know, if the if the senior pastor is good enough, he can persuade us to do it. But otherwise, like we're going to say no to the senior pastor. It's like you have this kind of full spectrum here. And I guess my question is, I'm sure every single one of us have perfect elder boards, but maybe you've seen some of these in your previous churches or in other churches. Which of these have you seen in your own life that to be bad, or or maybe how which of these elder boards have you seen kind of recover from being one of these uh, bad versions of an elder board, these dysfunctions to a healthier elder board? All of them. <laughs> All of them? <laughs> really? The, the first church I ever served at, the senior pastor basically had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And then after his affair that nearly destroyed the church, the elder board came back in and said, well, we're going to we make sure that never happens again. And yep. so it got to the point where it used to be the pastor can do whatever he wants, the Elders are, are that glorified rubber stamp, and then it became, you know, the middle school ministry calendar had to be approved by the elders. So, you know, it, the pendulum swang all the way. I want to ask you all a question, and because I think it will aid in some of this. So yesterday I was in, you know, the elders meeting, my first one ever. Um, I've been in deacons meetings before, but as an elder in an elders meeting. You so are an first, elder now? I am. Cool. Uh, and and I noticed something like these elders are very respected in the church and in the community at that at that matter. And one of the things that caught me is my my pastor is not a passive dude. He's pretty articulate. He's very you know he, he's 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 not passive. But in that elder meeting, he did not ha overpower the conversation at all. I was really observant about his restraint in that meeting to just allow the 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 lead elder to like lead the meeting. And then when the pastor spoke, everyone listened. I thought that was really, um, that, that I learned in that meeting yesterday. I was like, Oh, you don't, to me, that's a sign maybe of a healthy elder meeting is if the pastor doesn't feel like he needs to, what you were saying, you know, in, um, change everyone's mind and mold them to his sales pitch. He's very confident. And I think that he has a respect of that team, but have you, is that an, is that a normal thing for any of you set on healthy elder meetings? Yeah, I think that's a good take Dell. I I've seen, I've seen all these, uh, I've been on our elder board since 2015. So I've now been an elder, uh, granted when I first started, I was a non-voting elder that, I took on the role of elder when I stepped into the next gen pastor role at Lakeview. Uh, started as a non-voting elder, and the, it was a board full of yes men. There was a lot of rubber stamping happening uh, for quite some time at Lakeview. It led to a very dysfunctional elder board, which culminated in 2019, which was um, honestly a result of untrained, unqualified, unbiblical elders, and it, it was sorry and, and sad to see 
And then I saw the pendulum swing real fast, like Andrew said in his story, because people don't want to see that happen again. So it's like, well, we're not going to be rubber stampers. We're going to swing all the way over here. It was to the point of when I first stepped in as lead pastor, I did not have a vote on the board. I was still a non-voting elder, and I had a few elders who were not comfortable with that anymore. And so they they led the charge to saying, no, Tim Tim's a voting elder. He's he's one among six. He should have just as much say as all of us. And I that's that's the direction that we went. Um, I would say that we have a very, if not the healthiest el- elder board now that I've ever seen at Lakeview Church. Um, and it, it goes back to what you said too, Dell, where I, I feel like I don't have to have this pressure to persuade or convince. I, I have a segment built out for me at every elder meeting where, where I talk mission and, and ministry, and I, and I lead that section of every elder meeting. And I feel like they lean in, they listen, they provide great feedback. But again, I love telling our congregation, which this is hard to understand, especially for for an old guard or for someone who's used to a solo pastor model. When I tell them I'm one among many, and they hear from another elder, they're like, well, I didn't hear that from Tim. And then I'll respond with, no, that that elder is, an, is a pastor here at Lakeview. Yeah, I think I've for sure seen a few of these. Um, that What you said, Tim, was interesting about being a non-voting elder. I mean, if you, if, if I don't, that doesn't make no sense to me. If you're, if you're going to make a guy, give him the office of elder, but not let him vote, why is he an elder? There's no trust there. It doesn't make any sense. Can, can I can I give one uh, maybe one caveat? I don't. We don't have non-voting elders in our church. There, but well, let me rephrase that. There are pastors in our church that have the qualification that we have to follow the qualifications of elders, but they're not on the elder board. So technically, I guess you could classify them as el- as non-voting elders. But I would say this: if you're a church, let's say like Jeff, you said you have one other elder on your elder board. Yeah, right now. Let's say. So, so let's say every year, like, man, there's n- no truly qualified men in my church to be elders, but I'm going to take a couple under my wing, bring them to elder meetings, show them what it's like, and even maybe have their input on, like, what has happened in the church. And they could be a non – I mean, we in our church, we would call those elders in training. Um, so we wouldn't even call them non-voting elders, but they're being discipled to be an elder Sure, and, th- and that may mean like they're not necessarily equipped in teaching or theology, but their their character is good. They're faithful to their life. So I would say there. I think there's a there's a place for non-voting elders. Um, well, in the, in, I don't in, disagree in, in in terms of the practice. I just think it's bad wording. And as much as as much hay as we make about the wording of elders, and it's the same word for pastor and elder and bishop, and it's all that yeah. like word it better. You know, call him an elder candidate or an elder in training. But to say non-voting elder is like an oxymoron to me. I don't understand why you would do that. It just, to me, that title creates confusion. For and enough. what is was, an elder? You know what I'm saying? At, at my previous church, I was a part of the board. But in part of that was my, my senior pastor had Alzheimer's. And I was very much covering, not, you know, hiding for his illness, but I was covering for him and the responsibilities and a lot of things. And so I would come to the elders meeting, um, to the elders meetings with him. And I, the, the phrasing was that I had a voice, but not a vote. And so I was not technically an elder, but I was in the meetings. I was the one giving the perspective of the staff and whatnot. And more often than not, what I was suggesting or advocating for happened. 
And so I, I think there's a place for that. I think you can look at Paul's ministry, and I don't think right away Timothy had an equal vote with Paul in what city we should go to next. But as he matured and grew, he became more of an equal instead of a a tagalong. And I think there there should be a place for that mentorship and that that learning. I'd I also agree. Say, it's just not the office itself. I don't think no. you learn to be an elder as an elder. You either are no. an elder or you're not. Yeah. I, I think, you know, reading through that list a couple of times, it, it's funny because we – and our elder situation is different. Truthfully, we have more of a leadership team model than a um, than a, than a true elder oh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I, I'm going to remember as soon as we stop recording, I'll remember the word that I was looking for. But I think there is a difference between a team of rubber stamp elders mm-hmm. and elders that truly trust their pastor. Where where we are right now in our church, I'm given a whole lot more leeway than in previous positions that I've been in. And it's because there there's a trust there. There's certainly accountability. The elders could call me out on something. But right now it's kind of, hey, the day-to-day ministry operations, we're not there nine to five. We're not writing 50 sermons a year. We're going to acquiesce to your better judgment and your discernment on this. And trusting the first among equals, if you will, is different than saying, well, this is just a rubber stamp. But you have to be – I think that's where as a pastor, and you look at Ephesians, you know, talking about equipping the saints, and and I would say just in particular elders – you have to trust that they have the kind of discernment and maturity to know what they're looking for in their pastor to be able to trust you. So it's yes. like it, it, it's a it's a two way street there um, where, yes, I, I, I view the, the role of the pastor, especially like Andrew and I being kind of solo pastors. It really is kind of poignant. I mean, Tim, you're you're the only pastor on staff, right? Right. But yeah, you have, that's right. You have their staff members. But so similarly. Right. Um, I view the the pastor as kind of even among if there's other staff pastors who are elders, I sort of view you as like the managing partner if you want to take it to the business world, where you you are on you're on this you're part of this group of people who've invested in this thing, but there's one person there at the shop flipping the hamburgers, and so of course you're going to probably have more influence and trust because you're there day to day doing that. So, but I've I've seen particularly number four. Elders as an opposition party. I remember one elder telling me, I want the pastoral staff to be afraid of the elders. And I was like, that's a pretty big red flag. Why would you want us to be afraid of you? And and that was a reaction for him out of some really bad, I I can't say sinful decisions, but really unwise decisions that led to mistrust. Um, You know, so that was his overreaction the other way to sort of say, well, then you're gonna have you're gonna have to come to us, and we will have to rubber stamp everything, and we're gonna make sure basically to make it difficult for you, which is also really unhealthy. So yeah, I, I just think you know what you say, Andrew, is is the, the first among equals would be the the same kind of idea I would hold to. Um, I just don't think that there's a separation. I think the the gifting and the office are hand in hand. Um, you know, the the call to shepherd is the call to elder, is the call to teach, is the call to guard the doctrine is the call to all that stuff. So, I mean, I agree with you, though, Frank. Like, I, I for sure have – I have a process that I'm running somebody through right now. There's particular books, and they're going through it, and they're coming to elder meetings. There's nothing that – there's nowhere that I can see in Scripture that says only elders can come to an elder meeting. 
because the elders can invite whoever they want to the yeah. elder meeting, ask them for their input, and then make a decision. It, you know, I mean, I think you have to use prudence as far as what gets discussed in front of people and privacy and all that. But there's nothing that says you can't have a guy who's a candidate to become an elder one day coming to some meetings and giving input. You just think non-voting elder is a bad term. I just think that's a bad title. And as, as finicky as we are about words when it comes to elders in yeah. our particular stream of Christianity, I just don't understand why we would make that's a poor choice of a title. I get it. Yeah, yep, I don't disagree. I think elder in training actually sounds really nice, and then you have a voice but not a vote. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, on the super practical side, since this is the Practically Pastoring podcast, I would say for, for pastors out there who, who truly want to have a healthy elder board, it's going to take time. Like mm, you I was just going to say, yeah. You it's have to word. be willing to invest the time. Like years. This, yeah, this has been so far. We're, we're 18 months into our process of how we're going to start training elders. We have taken 18 months on this from the selection to the books they're going to read to the classes that they're going to take and how long the training is going to take. And we still have not solidified everything yet. We're really close. Like we will be done by December. So January's class of elders will be our first ones to go through this process, but it has taken a long time to get to this point. So I would say I get that you desire a healthy elder board. We, we all do, but it will, it will take time. So do you put responsibilities on them beyond, you know, show up to the meeting, make this call. Like I heard you say, there's a list of books they have to read. Are there, what, you know, what are some of those things that you do? I'd love to know a couple of those books if you have them off the top of your head. Yeah, I mean, for me, initially, when I'm talking to guys that are, that I think, you know, and you don't want to beg somebody to be an elder. Like, that's one of the one of the qualifications that they want to help lead. They need to desire the role. Right, right. right. So, but there are guys who who will say things like, no, nah, man, it's I don't need the title. And that's actually probably the kind of guy you want as an elder. Um, so there's some of those, and, and some of them are just... You know, you, you got to be gracious. You got to take time. There's one guy I'm thinking of in particular. He, he, his reason for not wanting to put his name in the hat to be an elder was that he lives a little bit far away from the church, and he didn't think he could serve well enough. And I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty servant-hearted reason to say no. So let's see what we can do. But um, yeah, there's there's some denominational stuff I want them to read up front, mission, vision, value, but also like some of the the, the history of our denomination if they didn't grow up in it. Um, and even just a refresher, there's some particular doctrinal stuff, but then, um, you know, anything, I mean, Tim, you're always saying on here, I'm going to read this with my elders or we're going to, one of the things that's, that, that you will find over time is that you'll end up in those processes, weeding out people that won't put in the work and won't actually stay engaged. There's a, there's a level of sort of engagement you have to have as an elder. Elders can't be passive. You mm. know, you're shepherding a flock. You can't just depend on somebody else to tell you when stuff's going wrong. Like you need to be actively aware of what's going on, at least with the people that you're connected with at the church, if you're a lay elder. So if I'm asking elders to read with me and they're consistently like when we're meeting every week, I have a standing meeting every week. And if they're coming back every week, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I didn't have time for it. Ah, I didn't get to do it. Then we're going to have a conversation about why not and prioritizing time. And, you know, cause this is, this is a calling. This is kind of a big deal. Are there any books that you guys have read in your ministry to help shape your understanding of elders and elder boards? Yes, yeah, so nine, nine marks. Yeah, um, nine they marks. actually have a, they, have, they have a great book on what it means to be an elder. That was the first thing we had our elders read in our our new training program, and we also are 
in the middle of finalizing our questionnaire that we're going to be using. So there's going to be some questions to answer at home, and there's going to be a formal interview process where they actually come and sit down with the elders to go through. And then there's going to be a 12-week class that another elder is going to lead with our new class of elders, and that's going to be using uh, Alexander Strauss. What's his? I think that's his name. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the name of that book, but we're going through that book for a part of our training. So when you ordain, I know like when you ordain ministers, for me, you know, it was Southern Baptist. So, you know, they get all the other local pastors together and you're grilled by them for a couple hours. I know my friend in the Presbyterian church, like that's insane. He's brilliant because he had to basically outline the entire Bible. It was awesome. But that being said, is there a... When you're ordaining your elders, do you have some sort of panel that they sit in front of and have to answer some theological stuff as well or to just make sure that they're within the bounds? I mean, in our particular uh, stream, we don't ordain elders. We don't call it that. We okay. appoint elders. Um, okay. And we, we ordain. And we install. Right. We yeah, we appoint that and makes install. Sense. Um, only, the only people that are getting ordained from us are getting ordained through the denomination and you will be an official worker. So um, ordination is reserved for people who are going to end up with reverend and uh, for women to CWM. That's a whole other discussion. But um, as far as books, to go back to that, uh, there's a book by Robert Thune called Gospel Eldership. It's really, really good. It's it's perfect for going through with your elders currently or going through with guys who are potentially elders. It's got questions at the end of every chapter. Uh, it's like a small group discussion. It's like built for you to read it and get coffee and talk about it. So it's really perfect. And what I like about it is it talks about not just, um, you know, we talk about like skill and also character, character competency, but it also talks about compatibility, um, which is a second tier thing, but really important uh, because some of these in this article we're talking about are really compatibility issues. They're, they're just, if an elder has a very different vision for ministry of your church, that's going to be a problem. Even if he's qualified, he's a great guy, loves the people, they love him. But he thinks, for instance, you need to be doing programs and you're running towards small groups with the rest of the elders. It's just going to be, you know, you're going to be constantly like dragging each other. The thing that I couldn't help but thinking when reading over this was, man, every church, no matter how healthy their elders are right now, is about two bad months away from any single one of these. You you are you are one leadership decision that goes wrong and one overreaction from being in one of these categories every single day of the week. And that's why I think what Tim is saying, it takes time to be healthy. It takes time to get healthy, and it takes seconds to become unhealthy. And that is the, the balancing act that, that we have to walk. Yep. And, and it's not even necessarily sin, just a stupid decision. That's, and it goes back to that trust issue. Yep. It is. If the minute that that trust is violated, then it is over. Um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but when Tim's church was going through everything that they were going through, there was one of his elders who made a comment of, you know, how things had gone wrong with the previous senior pastor. And he spoke of himself in first person. He's like, well, he never had to deal with, you know, dude's name in first person. And that won't be happening when I'm here. And I remember Tim telling me that story, and he and I had this this uh, look of, oh, boy, here it comes. And sure enough, it came, and it was ugly. And, and it, this is someone who has had the right intentions, 
but it's just such a short little window between healthy and dysfunction when it comes to healthy eldership boards. Dude, you know, it's a discussion that I don't think I've never seen this discussion ha- had by any in any meaningful way, like at a conference or at a seminar or anything. But what about the the reality that I I mean, I just think it's it has to be true that there can be seasons where you go in and out of qualification to be an elder. It can it not be true that you can go out of qualification and it be a season of your life and you come back into being qualified. I, I feel like it has to be. Otherwise, it's like the whole gospel's out the window with you know being able to be redeemed, and that's just such a difficult conversation though. Because I mean, as we think about all these all, all the failures we've seen in pastors, and particularly you know big name pastors or whatever, it's like what's the path for them to get back to being a leader? Do they ever need to be a leader again? Is it a one time deal? It's such a hard discussion. I've never seen that. Or or can you you know is there a season where for a particular guy he just doesn't have the energy to have little kids and be an elder? And so for maybe 10 years, he's just not qualified anymore. And then he comes back in. I, I don't know. I got, I've got i got a question for you guys that I've, I've been wrestling with. I've got a friend of mine who, who told me his his father-in-law uh, is is up for election to become an elder at his church. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. How do you guys feel about family members like your father-in-law or, or your dad on the elder board? I I, I'm kind of torn, um, and, and that's personally because, I mean, my dad probably would qualify as an elder at my church, but he's he my dad. Would. He He's my dad. So, But biblically speaking, that doesn't matter if he's my dad. He's qualified as an elder. However, practically speaking, in the eyes of people in the church, that that could pose a problem again because yep. he's Tim's dad. So what, I think what that are just your guys' falls thoughts under oversight. I mean – the elders are called to exercise oversight. I and there's so many things that would be in the category of wisdom, and I think that's just one of them. And for me, I, I that just seems like it, it. It seems like a recipe for something bad. So even just, even just in terms of if there are a bunch of church members, or even me as the pastor, or other elders, even if we're uncomfortable with it, I think you could make the case that that's a call for us to bear with one another's burdens and not force upon Tim, for instance, well, it's not wrong for your dad to be an elder, so we're going to make him an elder, even though you're really uncomfortable with it. You might not even be able to explain why you're uncomfortable with it. I would say the elders need to go, you know what, as an act of love, we're not going to do this. This seems unwise to us. It seems unwise to Tim. We really don't have a biblical mandate one way or the other that we have to. No, Nothing says you have to make every qualified man an elder, right? I mean, you don't have to appoint all of them as elders. So I, I just think it's prudence. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I think there's a wisdom piece that you have to like write out in your bylaws about like yeah, you know, like right now at our church we we are um, creating I, not creating. I think they're already in our bylaws. Actually, I don't know if it's in our bylaws. It's just like a, a principle that like if you're on staff, your spouse cannot be on staff, and just because it creates some weird dynamics within the work culture of the church. Um, and I think that could be that could be like fleshed out in a bunch of different ways. Like, so for example, I was a part of helping create the uh, search committee for the next senior pastor, and and we were talking about the kind of person or people we want on the search committee. And one thing we said is we don't want spouses on the search committee because yeah. effectively a spouse spouses is just one vote. It's one vote, yeah. You know, so so I think there's like a there's a wisdom thing. I do think 
Tim, you're not in this situation. I I feel like I feel like your dad's a good guy that you would actually want him on your elder board. I, I I maybe you don't, and I don't know I don't know where the heart is behind that question. But like I think that like you're not in the situation, but there are. But maybe Jeff is closer into the situation than anyone else here. Um, is in situations where you cannot match exactly the best way scripture can define these different roles is you go to the closest you can, right? So like. You know, for example, let's say uh, this is kind of off topic, but like Jeff talked about last week, how the water is is has E. coli in it, so he probably it wouldn't be wise for him to do. Oh, I forgot! I've been drinking it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, let's say that's a predicament for like a long time, right? He might have to do some creative ways of doing baptism to be able to do baptisms if this is like a years long issue in Baltimore, right? I think if you're like facing a years long issue of finding qualified elders, this is where you you guys start considering what is the next best thing we can do, though it might not be ideal, as long as it's not unwise and it's not gonna like do anything bad, like what's the best thing we can do in that situation? Well, I mean, we just went through all this with COVID. Uh, right? Exactly, I mean, yeah, yeah. What was normative? And what was actually practical? When you plant a church, you don't have elders. You might not have them for five years. And this is where so, you might have you might have Tim's dad come on, right. As an elder in that situation, be like, "Dad, I need you for a year. Hopefully, in a year, we'll be able to find some folks." You now, listen. I said we have an elder. Technically, we don't have elders right now. We're sure. in this redevelopment status. So, and I just went through an org chart and did the whole thing. Technically, I'm the board. Like, I literally can say I am the board. I, that's how the it's how it's set up. But right can now. you say it in a really deep voice? Um, and then, yeah, and I then could. ask who the heck you think you are. <laughs> um, moving on. I just, I just think in that situation, like Tim, you know, I, I'm imagining my father-in-law. You guys know, um, you know, he's he's not with us now, but I'm imagining him on an elder board and it being fantastic, but also being like, but what if, what if I'm frustrated at lunch on Sunday? Like, what do I? It, it, it just creates like a weird situation where. Now my family is – its a. I mean, and we have other – in our church, you know, you can't be – two family members can't work in the nursery together. Two family members can't count money because of wisdom, because of prudence. They might be the most trustworthy people ever, but we just are not going to do it. And I but think – Jeff, I, I think what, what you and I deal with is in a little church, there are only so many yeah. – there, there are only so many ponds that you could go fishing in. And so our elders were meeting on Thursday night, and we need – we have five elders, including myself, and so – Two of them have to come off this March, and they've yeah. been they they hired me. So they they had been elders for about a week when they offered me the position. So the entire five and a half years that I've been here, they've been kind of my my go tos. Man, great first both, decision, guys. Yeah, for real. But they both have to come off in March, and so we were talking about hey, who's who's going to come on? And now that the church has grown, it's either well, do we dip back into some of the same pools that we've used before, which right. is wonderful, but. There's some some nepotism claims could be made because we have a few families that when I got here there were only a few families and so you you know are you replacing this person with the family from that person with the family or do you go for new people and well you know define define new people if they're new to our church but not new to the faith how soon how long should someone be at your church before you make them an elder even though they are a very qualified we're doing all the person? same I mean. And, so and then there's people that have their feelings hurt, and you understand yeah. why, because they've been faithful for a long time, and now there's no space for them in the yeah. sort of – and then and then you have to say people are mixed bags, and they're also influenced because they like that power that they had. 
Yeah. And now they don't have it, and they're frustrated at you. And what used to be your ally, now you're wondering. And now here we are in the trust issue Andrew talked about. And you know, you go two months, and you've got a whole different animal. You've got so a, it's, you go it's two tricky. months, and then you have a different one of those numbers on the uh, on the the article that we were just reading. Yeah, yeah. Pick which number it, you got. It now. can it can change just like that in a snap of a finger. Guys, this conversation is awesome because this is this is exactly the stuff that that we as an elder board have been working. Yeah, but I wanted through. answers, dude. <laughs> And it has, I think a lot of it's contextual. I mean, you, you, you said luck. that, right? Like a lot of it is contextual. You yeah. have to understand where you're at and, and the people that, that God's blessed you with and he's given you. And this is not an easy, I think it's fun and difficult at the same time yeah. to wrestle with because it has been very rewarding for us as elders to go through this process. I think we've grown a lot together. We actually spent a, a great deal of our elder retreat back in June just talking about I mean, these exact questions are what we were like whiteboarding about. So it was, it's, I mean, it's solid that it's solid enough that you should probably work through with your leadership team as well. Mm-hmm. I'll wrap I'll wrap this up by saying we we like Andrew have two people coming off to have their year sabbatical from elder board in February. And well, even that whole process is just wisdom. There's nothing in the oh, Bible yeah. telling you to cycle For- elders on and off. For sure. And one thing that we're doing, one thing we did for the first time ever. So typically in the past, it was like uh, the senior pastor has asked the campus pastors for names that they think would be elder candidates. And that, and then the senior pastor took the elders. This year we're doing a little different, especially because we don't have a senior pastor right now, is uh, the elders brought in all the campus pastors and a lot of the central staff. So like our kids person, our youth person, our small groups person, and literally just on a big uh, whiteboard is like give me names of people you think would be a good elder and and let's prioritize them from like this is the primary list to maybe they need to do like elder and training and the first thing he said after everything was done was like this is the most names we've ever gotten like this is great and i think this is like i mean uh, this sound and i feel bad even saying all this because like this is the issue of being in a big church it's like we can have a lot of names it doesn't mean they're all qualified what luxury we, i know i know i feel bad i feel bad even <laughs> After saying all this, but like the, like uh, the elders on their own wouldn't know this. And like, we're, and we're thinking through of like, how can we make sure we have an elder that represents every campus that also represents, um, the diversity of our church? Like these are, like, it becomes more nuanced and difficult conversations, but like, man, you know, I would say, I would say, Andrew, if you can talk to key ministry leaders in your church and be like, Hey, can you guys give me each of you, give me two or three names of who you think could be. And at minimum, do it like, you know, what, what, what Jeff is talking about, like walking with people at least for a year where you might not have the ideal amount on the board this year. By next year, you might, you know. But let me just give you a nuance. A, a pastor did this when I – my pastor did this when I was a teenager, and this has changed the way I think about it. What if instead of saying, hey, who are some people you think could be elders, you ask a question like, hey, who are the people who are currently shepherding you and eldering you? Because to me, in the new, when you look in the New Testament – the laying on of hands is not, you know, to, to, to ordain is not so much about we're putting this on you as we're saying we're recognizing that this is true about you. So maybe in our search for elders and our prayer for elders, it's, Lord, would you bring elders here and would you make us wise to recognize the elders that we do have here? Um, you know, that that's I know that's, again, picky with words, but I, I found that helpful. Yeah. Or you can do what Andrew did. And let an elder get a, a guy get mad at Tim's church and say, "Who you want me to endorse? You be an elder at our church." And then boom, bada bing, bada boom, 
That's how Andrew grew his elder board. Yep. Also, when we <laughs> are selecting elders, we go out to the parking lot during the first few songs on Sunday morning. Usually, like the third song because they're never here on time. But we look for like the five or six nicest cars in the parking lot. And then we ask the Holy Spirit if those people yes. should be elders. That's those just, are really the kind of people you want to build a church with. We, we've got a new couple, and they both have a te- they both drive Teslas, and I'm nice. really feeling like God wants them to have a voice in our church in the future. Yeah, I don't know how real this is in some places. Oh, oh it's very real in many places. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Awesome. Well, hey. Uh, that was a great conversation. And if you want to keep this conversation going, bring up your questions over in the Practically Pastoring Facebook group. We're there. We're on Instagram. And more, most importantly, we're going to be in Florida on February 20th to the 22nd at the Practically Pastoring Conference. Be there. We're going to talk about elders. We're going to talk about youth ministry. We're going to talk about serving from the second chair. All these type of conversations are going to be happening at the Practically Pastoring Conference where practical discussions on pastoring. We are happens. the Practically Pastoring Elders. We are. The five of us are the Practically yes. Pastoring Elders. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, we hope to see you next week. And I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.